All right, so maybe I'm missing God because um, last week, last week, Kevin Rogers at Covenant Life Church preached on living hope. First Peter 1, 3 to 5. And as a matter of fact, he's preaching at Matt Maker's church this week in Mount Airy on living hope. And next week, it's living hope. So God seems to be speaking living hope, so maybe I'm in the wrong, wrong place. <laughs> no, that's, that's just very encouraging, just the way that God's moving in different places. But I will use that as a segue to say, let's pray. Father God, we thank you. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you for already speaking this morning. Thank you for the voice of your spirit. Lord God, I um, ask you to not only give us ears to hear, but help me to constrain my tongue where it should be constrained. Um, Guard my words, Lord God. Have mercy on these people who are so precious to you, Lord. Speak to them, Lord God, in ways I cannot. Help us all, Lord. Amen. All right, let's jump right in here. So, um, for those who have been here, we've been doing a three-week series on our relational God. For those who weren't here, a little bit of a catch-up. The first week, we focused on God's relational pursuit. When Adam and Eve disobeyed, they did not just bring death into the world. They left God. The history of mankind, therefore, is a history of a broken relationship. So when God cried out in the garden thousands of years ago, where are you, Ayeka, or more precisely, where have you gone? It was a start of a long-term pursuit to bring us back to him, which he did through Jesus. So if you are a Christian believer, you are here only because God personally called you. If he did not call you, you are not. So the sharp point on that truth is if I walk away, I walk away from him. If I disobey, I disobey him. If I love something or someone more, it's more than him. So it's a relation that just want to bring that forward in our mind. So then from there, last week, we talked about God's relational strategy. So in juxtaposition to so many other religions, if you think of Islam, Confucius, Buddha, where somebody had a revelation, went about sharing their revelation and started gaining a following, God didn't do that. He called a man. He called Abraham. And he said, out of you, I will make a great nation. So right from the beginning, God's not calling a following. He's calling a family. So we talked about that, how God called the Jews. And from this nation, the seed, Jesus, the reconciler of God, a man would come. And here's the amazing thing. Um, we picked up in Ephesians 2 and 3 that Jesus did not just reconcile us to God. He reconciled us to us. He came to bring us into relationship with each other. 
Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. The Bible makes a big deal about the people of God, the family of God. So when the news that God did away with the Jewish theocracy to start an entirely new entity called the church, for us, especially who are not Jewish, we should get real excited because God had chosen a family. And if you weren't Jewish, you were out. And God changed the rules and made it all in faith in Jesus, Jew and Gentile. Greek, barbarian, all together. But we concluded last week's message with this harsh reality. And the harsh reality is many of us don't experience a lot of joy in relationship, and especially relationship with our brothers and sisters. And we also ended with a prayer. And the prayer was John 17, Jesus' prayer. Father, may they be one. Okay, one's great. Even as we are one. Wait a second, okay. The individable unity of the Trinity. Even as we are one, may they be one. Lord, I'm just praying for no church split. I mean, (laughs) you're, you're going a little bit beyond me. That's Jesus' prayer. But in life here today, between the already and the not yet, this is what we're experiencing. Is that Jesus' prayer, this is where we're going. This is my experience. And so in one sense, we may have stopped a little bit short last week because both those messages beg for something else. All right, (laughs) now what? Well, that's where we go. Paul's not going to leave us either. We got Ephesians 4 to 6 and finish up the book today. So before I do, I mentioned last week that this was our second battlefield. The first is our relationship with God. Satan seeks to break up that relationship. The second battlefield is is Satan seeks to break up a relationship with us, my spouse, my friend, my church. So, Paul seems to be aware of this because before he starts chapter four, he finishes chapter three with a prayer. And Albert already went over this, but let's read this together. And as we read it, check out the themes that we just covered, that God brought us to himself and that God brought us into family. Verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father, key word from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, personal relationship, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, it's relational, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, with all the saints, With all the saints, we're a family. What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know what? The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, 
according to the power at work within us, to him be, catch this, glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. I love those words in verse 20 uh, and have often prayed them over others. He is able to do far more abundantly than what I could ask or think. You know, I think of the Star Wars line. I don't know, I got a pretty good imagination. You know, I could think a lot, you know. He can do above what I can ask or think. I find it interesting that that huge, wonderful promise, more than we can ask or think, is here in this section about the church bringing God glory. So even in Paul's prayer, there is something of, hey, what we're talking about right now is big and seems almost insurpassable. Take heart. Jesus has prayed for it and Jesus is going to be glorified. So Paul, having spent the first half of the letter sharing who we are, sends the second half of his letter saying what we should do or what does this new family of God look like? Now, check out the first three verses of chapter four. Um, we will have the scriptures on the screen too. Uh, if you want, I think it's also good to follow along in your Bible. It's like, okay, yeah, Steve's not making this up. You know, it, it, it is right there. Um, but the first three chap- uh, verses of chapter four, to me, it almost sounds like a thesis statement for the next three chapters. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What calling? Called into relationship with God, with his people. What behavior aligns with that calling? Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. All right, now what I want you to do is keep your finger in Ephesians. I'm going to do a brief scan through Ephesians to just say how much of the instruction that Paul's going to give in these three chapters is relational. That's where we're going to go. All right, so we're going to go right to verses 8 to 12. Paul speaks about the gifts that God gives in the form of people. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. So Albert is a gift from God to us. To what end? Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and then the knowledge of the Son of God. How is that going to happen? Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into him who is ahead into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, i.e. every relationship with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. All right. That's 4, 15, and 16. Keep moving. Paul then talks about this new self we're supposed to put on. Like, think of new clothes that we're putting on. And he initially contrasts it with the previous Gentile selfish relationships. 
or destructive lifestyle. So verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So what does a new self, a child of God, a member of God's family look like? Well, verses 25 to 32, Paul's going to give six examples of what this lifestyle looks like. And they're all relational. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Verse 10, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as good for building up, relationship building, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. And verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's a mouthful. Paul seems to sum that up now in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. In being imitators of God and walk in love as Christ loved us. How selflessly laying down his life for us. And then by contrast, Paul lists some of the examples of the selfish activities they should not be part of. Verse 3, no sexual immorality, impurity, or covetousness. I want, I need. Verse four, no filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, which really are selfish, but rather thanksgiving. Not walking in darkness, hidden sin, but walking in the light, verse eight. And the verse 18, not getting drunk, but being filled with the spirit. Now, Paul goes on to share that regularly filled with the Holy Spirit should lead to verses 19 and 20, singing songs to one another. Did anybody sing a song to you yet this morning? <laughs> okay. Singing to God. That we definitely did. Giving thanks to God. Submitting to one another. Wow. That, like, that Holy Spirit stuff must be pretty high octane proof. I mean, you know, take some of that, all of a sudden I'm now singing to you, you know, and I'm singing to God. I'm giving thanks to God. That's, that's pretty wild. So a brief aside here. Um, I've always had a little bit of a struggle with this. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Like, does that mean I'm supposed to walk up to you and start singing Psalm 1 to you? Um, so I looked at the cross-references. You know, the little letter that's there by the verse. Here's what I got. There's four of them. Acts 16, 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. All right? 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Paul's saying in the church service, sometimes the way we edify is just sharing a hymn. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And then James 5.13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. 
All right, so I guess it means exactly what it means. Um, that's weird to me, a little bit different. Uh, but then I thought of, uh, I have very good friends, uh, Dr. Joe and Arlita Winston. Uh, by the way, they're up in near Philadelphia, not quite Philadelphia, uh, to my merit men, um, Moorestown, New Jersey. And we love going up and visiting with them, especially if we need counsel in our lives or just trying to, you know, help speak into our lives. And it's amazing. Our lead especially, she'll be sharing, and all of a sudden she'll go, Joe, remember that hymn? And then she'll just burst into this hymn. Oh, goodness of the Lord. And, you know, and just starts singing and stuff like that. And they'll also do that, you know, around dinner. So you actually hold hands and having grace and, okay, let's sing this hymn, you know. And yeah, we don't know the hymn, you know. And they're just going, and it's really very edifying. It's like, wow, like, is there something we're missing there in our culture, our generation? I think the closest we have, our care group is all connected on WhatsApp. And uh, so through the week, it's really nice because we're able to just connect with one another. One of the things we do is share songs. Oh man, I was listening to this worship song. Check this out, you know? And oh yeah, I love those words, you know? Hey, have you heard this band, you know? So maybe that's our context, but there is something in just sharing, edifying praise and worship with one another. All right, back to the Ephesians scan. Finally, Paul's going to list three relational categories and what relational harmony will look like for each. Verses 22 to 23, the whole section of wives and husbands, that's relationship, right? Uh, chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, children and parents, all relational. And then chapter 6, 5 to 9, servants and masters. Uh, work is very relational. Um, actually, I was a manager at Pepperidge Farm for... A long time, I was amazed at how much of my time was not in trying to sell Pepperidge Farm bread as it was in trying to get employees to get along with each other. It's true. Essentially, all Paul's exhortations concern relationships. So here's what I'm hearing Paul saying. One, we serve a relational God. Two, we've been brought into a relational family of faith. So three, learn well relationship. Learn, I think, is a key word. If you jump back to Ephesians 4.15, it says we are to grow up in every way into him. Ephesians 4.23 shares we are to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. It's a process. Ephesians 5.10, I think, really gets it. It emphasizes, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, I like what the ESV notes shares in reference to this verse. The Bible gives general principles for life. But followers of Christ must use wisdom to discern how to apply those principles to the concrete issues of life. All right, let me just give one example. It says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That's real clear. Forgive. All right. So my wife and I are working with a woman right now with a preteen son, and they have faced 10 years of abuse from a dad who's both an alcoholic 
and is suffering from PTSD. And it's been so bad that the boy, 10 years old, is curled up in a fetal position. What does be kind and forgiving one another look like for this woman and child? The truth of the gospel is simple, but it's not simplistic. We can't just copy-paste scriptures into situations. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We need to have the whole counsel of God. And this is very important because we're dealing with relationships. These things are valuable, precious, easily damaged. We need to learn. Now, as I shared with you in the past couple weeks, I was not attempting to do a good exegesis of Ephesians in these three weeks. And neither is today a message on how to do relationship. I think that should be a series in itself. But um, the three weeks has been a message on the centrality of relationship in the faith we profess. That's the driving home point. Our faith is relational. God's real. It's a relationship. It's not a theory of thought. It's not out there. It is a relationship. The people here, we are a relationship. It's not just an organization. It's just not a club. It's just not a, yeah, I check off theologically. No, I'm connected. There's hearts. There's people. There's lives. It's relational. So with the time remaining, I, I do want to share like three pointers from the text that I, that I believe are spirit-directed. I pray they are. Now, Lord, if they're not, please just wash them away. But before I do, I want to share one tangential thought that I think will help us cement the importance of what Paul is exhorting us in these chapters. So, um, having reflected on the predominance of relational exhortation in the book of Ephesians, I started thinking of the other New Testament letters. Okay, Romans, Corinthians. Philippians, James, Peter. The overwhelming amount of exhortations on those are all relational. So I went back to the Great Commission. Jesus gave his disciples, Matthew 28, go therefore make disciples of all nations, right? And I'm thinking, okay, so that's what Jesus said. Apostles go out to do it, and these letters are informing us kind of a lot how that looks. And um, this is my personal reflections, okay? Struggles. I'm thinking there's nothing in the letters about door-to-door -door evangelism. There's nothing about how to do outdoor preaching. There's no instructions on evangelistic rallies. 1 Corinthians 14, 23 was the only passage that came to mind regarding how signs and wonders can impact the unbelieving. And very little is even shared about how to share your faith. So 1 Peter 3 is one of the few that comes to mind. Be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, the hope that's in you. So why is that? All right. It's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to take the gospel of all the nations. And you're talking all about loving my wife. <laughs> I'm like, God, I'm not catching this. 
So there was a few months ago, Kevin Rogers was preaching on 1 Corinthians, and he said something that stunned me. He said, the letter to the Corinthians, the Corinthians church was probably far less than 200 people. What? So I looked it up. And sure enough, scholars think the first Corinthian church was somewhere between 50 and 140 people. Interesting. You guys could be the Corinthian church. Current Corinth had a population of 90,000. I got 150 at max. Take the nations. <laughs> so that led me into looking at some other numbers. So Jesus crucified around 33 AD, right? John, the apostle, longest living one, died around 100 AD. You know how many Christians there were at the end of the first century, 100 AD? People estimate about 7,000. That's a megachurch in the entire world. 0.01% of the Roman population of 60 million. So I did a little bit more research and generally it's agreed. Got 120 people in the upper room. Holy Spirit comes. But in the year 300, Christians made up 10% of the Roman Empire or 6 million people. And by 350 AD, that number had shot up to 30 million. And now Christians are the majority of the empire. So were you able to pull off this chart? I don't know if we got that one up. So Rodney Stark in The Rise of Christianity has a really interesting model. Um, so you've got, you know, 7,500 Christians. <laughs> and because of the scale, you can't even see this. It doesn't even show up. I kept trying to work the graphs. You could see something here. But I, I, you have to get rid of the 30 million. Um, so, you know, right here at 50 AD, 7,500 people or 0.02% of the population, 150 AD, about 40,000, or 0.07%. By 200 AD, you got 200,000, 0.35%. And then by 250 AD, it actually shows up on the scale, right? 2 million. And then we go up. Now, this is just a model, okay, and obviously, Growth fluctuated over that time with persecutions and stuff like that. But I like this point that was made by one blogger. How then, if not by organized missionary work with battalions of door knockers, mass open air rallies to convert multitudes, and the rest of it, did Christianity get so far in just three centuries? In the simplest way of all, through social interactions. Word of mouth between neighbors, co-workers, traders, even slaves who are being transported all over the empire transmitted this new faith. Remember God's relational strategy? Start with Abraham, Isaac, we're at two, great. Jacob, we're at 12. Hey, getting somewhere. <laughs> it's slow, but it's sure. So here's my limited experience in seeing others come to faith. Number one, I don't know anybody that wants to be sold, okay? Uh, most people I've come across, they've heard it all. 
been burned too many times. Uh, I can't convince them of anything. But seeing something? You know, a marriage that works, children that are responsive, a community of people that tangibly love one another? You know, <laughs> that gets their attention. Remember Acts 2.47, praising God and having favor with all the people. Or Acts 5.13 gets a little more clear. None of the rest dared to join them, the Christians, but the people held them in high esteem. Why? Of the handful of people that I have actually seen come to faith over my 40 plus years as a Christian, normally there was a fairly long period of constant demonstrated love with no reciprocal expectation. They're a friend. Treat them as a friend. Love them as a friend. The individual would hit a time of difficulty and then they would come asking questions. The transmission of the gospel is relational. Now, does that mean we don't do evangelistic activities? Not at all. <laughs> I did do them. God willing, I will keep doing them. Okay? But even missionaries are going to tell you that to really penetrate an area, it takes like 10 plus years of commitment to establish a trust that people will listen to you. It's relational. Fascinating quote from the beginning of John Stott's uh, the commentary on the book of Ephesians. I really like this. As the apostle proclaimed God's order to the post-Augustan Roman era, which was marked by, get this, a process of social disintegration. Sound familiar? So Ephesians is today the most contemporary book in the Bible since it promises community in a world of disunity. Reconciliation in place of alienation and peace instead of war. <laughs> is this echoing with anybody? <laughs> Our culture is screaming for Ephesians. They, they want this. I see so many people lashing out more because they're hurt and frustrated and they've got to have someone to blame. So I'm going to blame this or this or this or this. But in the base of it, it's just like everything's chaotic. I got nobody I can trust. I've been hurt too much. The big topics that are capturing today's headlines don't deliver. Well, we're going to see on the news this week and it kind of like throws us off a little bit. And the people that are in them, we know <laughs> it doesn't work. And actually, they're hurting and they're scarred. Some of us know this because that's exactly where we came from. I was doing that life. It wasn't pretty. So they're looking for something real. They want to find something real. But it's got to be real. The words ain't going to cut it. And they will test us. They will push us. They want to know it's true. All right, that's just making the point for, as we close out here, three of many pointers that Paul's giving in, okay, how does this look? If I was to, for you guys, the one that comes most important 
is simply fight for unity. It's a fight. This is not just going to come. Ephesians 4.3 says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Quote from Marcus Barth. It is hardly possible to render exactly the urgency contained in the underlying Greek verb, not only haste and passion, but a full effort to the whole man is meant, involving his will, sentiment, reason, physical strength, and total attitude. Yours is the initiative. Do it now. Mean it. You are to do it. I mean it. Such are the overtones in verse 3. So what does that look like? Here's how I picture this. Um, Jesus is working to bring us all together. I not so much so. I'm sitting down relating to someone, and this is not a sin issue, but you know what? I'm not really wanting to be with them. Maybe because how they look, how they smell, what they believe in, you know, what they think. And here's Jesus. And what's his disposition? He's all in. Tell me more. How'd that affect you? What do you think? He's engaged. And I'm like, you know, I really like to talk to you, but I got an appointment to get to. So, you know. <laughs> that's the distance. That's, that's where I am. And that's where Jesus is at. And this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's bringing us to be more like Jesus. Now, there's a wisdom in doing this. Like, there's a wisdom in doing everything. Um, but in the process, the point is, how do I lean forward? How do I engage? So it's not simplistic, but I don't want to too quickly excuse myself from Romans 12, 18 which says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. All right, now, that is mapping onto all of us differently, okay? This is church members, this is spouse, this is friends, this is family that I've spoke to in 10 years, this is a uh, hundred different scenarios, all right? And the way to get there is not simplistic. Oh, just forgive them and everything's fine. No, no. There's wisdom in this. But there is effort that has to be meant. And a lot of it just got to start with a driving into God. We'll pick that up that a little bit more. Now, what I find interesting is, and Albert pointed this out, this whole instructional area on relationship is bracketed by two prayers. We prayed the first one. The last one's an exhortation of prayer, the very famous whole armor of God. Paul's finishing this up and saying, listen, guys, put on the whole armor that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. What's he talking about? He's talking about relationships. This is people. Oh, what good schemes of the devil? Hello, schemes of the devil. <laughs> on my vacation, at dinner time, my date night, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual force of evil in the heavenly places. All right. So our family laughs about this one interaction. Um, 
my son is there in the kitchen and he's saying, have you ever stood on the edge of a cliff and there's something in you that's saying, jump. And Yvonne just says, demons, Chad, demons. <laughs> it's real. There, the, the spiritual warfare just comes up in our normal life. It's very present. Sin and Satan want to rip us apart. Don't ever get that out of your head. They want to separate us from God and they want to separate us from each other. That's our warfare. Point two, the last two are quicker. Listen to hear. Ephesians 4.15 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who's ahead into Christ. So here Paul is just giving us a map, okay? What does Christianity look like? What's this life look like? This is what it looks like. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into Jesus. Okay, that's where we're going. Now, I read that speaking the truth in love is not the best rendering of Paul's expression. Because the Greek verb makes no reference to speech. Literally, it means truthing in love and includes the notions of living and doing the truth. So I was a little bit unclear, so I hit the cross-reference, hit the A again in my Bible. 1 John 3, 18 is what comes up. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Here's the point. People don't need our mouth as much as they need our ears. We have two of them and one of these. You'd think they at least get twice the time. Two resources uh, that I think either one can change your life. Um, one is Side by Side by Ed Welch. And the other, do you have the pictures? I just have the cover pictures of them. Side by Side by Ed Welch. And the other is The Listening Life by Adam McHugh. Um, either one of these, um, you just read them. And it's revelation after revelation after revelation, like, oh, Lord, help me get this. Another book, just on relationship in general, this is about the importance of listening in our relationship, but Relationships by Ed Welch um, is a classic CCF material. These guys are uh, Tripp and Lane are 30-year biblical counselors. They've seen a little about relational conflict, so another good resource. But if we're going to do relationship at all, we've got to learn to listen. Last one, press into God. Ephesians 5, 1 to 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. I think this passage now brings us full circle. We started the series reviewing a relationship with our creator that we walked away from, that we rebelled against. There's a disobedience factor. Life, hope, joy were extinguished in that disobedience and the inconceivable happened. God actually said, I'm going to fix this. It was done. It was over. It's like, no, it's not over. And went and sent his son to bridge that gap and actually bring us back to him. Having been brought back to him, we still have to learn relationship. We are growing up into him who is ahead, even Christ. Listen, every day that you and I wake up, 
God has an agenda. You wake up, you say, oh, what am I going to do today? I want to do, you know. And before we were awake, God's already has an agenda. He's, I, I got a day for you. And you know what it is? I'm going to make you more like Jesus. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of Christ. That's where he's taken us. So even before you get out of bed, you got a plan for your day. <laughs> he's got a plan for your day. And you know what? He's going to use all of life to do that. Circumstances, situations, and above all, people. People. <laughs> it's what he uses. A long time ago, I heard a message by R.C. Sproul. It was on the sovereignty of God. And he made this statement that really struck me. Um, and R.C. Sproul says, there is not a maverick molecule in the universe. And actually, our greatest fear would be that there is even one molecule that is not under the total control of God because there's one molecule that's out there that's random that could do destruction at any time in any place. That's fear. There's not a maverick molecule in the universe. So as I'm in situations, you know, life, hello, and something comes up, whatever, my, by the grace of God, typical knee-jerk reaction is not complaining about the situation, the person, the event. Matter of fact, uh, we're coming up here, okay, left at 9 o'clock, we can be there at 9.30, no problem, flying up 270, you know, and uh, all of a sudden, red lights, whoo, <laughs> hello, and uh, sure, I usually hit the GPS beforehand just to make sure, and everything is stopped dead, and at that point, which we're halfway here, it's going to be about 45 minutes to get here. It's like, whoa, now what? Um, and by the grace of God, we are only half a mile from the exit that you could take off and make it only 26 minutes. That's a silly small example. The point of it is when those things happen, what, what do we focus on? Do we focus on the thing, the person, the event. This person did that to me. This thing happened. You did this. Or is there some aspect of us that we're sitting there going, okay, God, you have me here right now. What are you doing? What are you saying? What should I be hearing? It drives us to God. And that's where we want to be. So as we're hitting these things, these are awesome opportunities to pull close to God, knowing he controls the days of our life. I'm talking about the whole realm of it. I've just been diagnosed with terminal cancer, say. That happens. A lot of us. And God's sovereign over that. And I've got to struggle with that. But it's got to drive me to him, not away from him. It's got to drive me to other people. But if we have that concept, it helps us in all our interactions, what's going on. Like, there is this thing in the person that needs to be fixed. We can see that, right? <laughs> but there's probably something in me. There is something in me. It doesn't bother Jesus. He's with the same person. He's fine. I'm flipping out. What's the difference? That's where God's getting us at. So, 
If you take any small child in a terrifying situation, she's wrapped up in her father's arms. She's not comforted by her dad giving her a download of this is what's happening, blah, 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 blah. She's comforted being in his arms and him in control. Our knowledge is not going to be our satisfaction. Our assurance is going to bring us peace. So when we reviewed the book of Ephesians, we saw that he called us to himself and to the family, and now he's calling us to obedience. And I would be leaving you in a worse condition if we just stopped here and I didn't give you time for you to interact with God. If the word of God has just highlighted, and I trust the Holy Spirit is speaking. So for you, <laughs> a million things, I, couldn't, I can't tell you who, what, why, when, where, this applies to you. But I think you already know. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And I want to give us time because he, he does this because of his grace. He does this because he's trying to bring us forward. He does this because we're his children. He's trying to, to bring us out and bring us in. So let's just take a minute and just reflect. For those who journal, I think if you actually wrote that down on a piece of paper, uh, that may help. It's going to take two minutes of silence here. What does faith and obedience and relationship look like for you? All right, let me pray. Father, thank you. <laughs> we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and you made us alive. We were dead. You made us alive. We're alive right now. And we have a relationship with you, God. Why? How? And we have a family, Lord God. There's promises, Lord God. There's so much more you have yet to do. So much more we have yet to see and experience. You're doing something amazing, Lord God, far beyond all we can ask or think, Lord God. We will not be able to say, yeah, I saw this. But Father, it, you give us days. Each day is a little segment, and today has enough troubles of its own. So all we need to know is today. Tomorrow we'll need tomorrow, but today we need today. What today, here and now, are you saying? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the voice of Christ. Lord, you're speaking that to us. There's grace for us to respond. We trust you for that. Help me to trust you and obey. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're good. Thank you that you're great. Right, I'm going to send you away with an assignment. Since we are a family, uh, let me exhort you to share what God spoke to you with some member of the family. Okay? Because it's in community that we're going to grow. So I think if you can find someone to say, hey, just so you know, this is what God's speaking to me. Just want you to know.